I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't see adverts like these anymore. You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. A doctor sitting there in his white lab coat, a pretty nurse comes over and hands him a stack of papers as he merrily puffs away on a cigarette. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine Doctors in all parts of the country were asked, What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. These vanished from UK screens in 1965, and a global treaty in 2005 means tobacco companies aren't allowed to promote cigarettes or lobby governments. But in 2023, where does vaping fit in? I used to smoke and now I can't stop vaping, when, especially when I have a drink. You want to vape? Mm-hmm. Well, I have five flavours, strawberry, mango, pineapple. This one's pink lemonade, one of my favourite flavours. Cola and lemonade. Cotton candy, cherry menthol, the strawberry ice cream one. If you're not a vapor yourself, you'll certainly have walked through a cloud of sickly, infantilizing flavored vapor at some point. A new investigation by The Times has found that tobacco companies have been engaged in a secret lobbying campaign to try and boost their e-cigarette sales. They've bankrolled scientific papers playing down the risks of youth vaping and funded so-called independent foundations, which then try and lobby government. The UK is a vaping outlier, positively enthusiastic where many are cautious. As one academic puts it, we're either the smartest group of people on the planet or a bunch of idiots. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, how the tobacco industry has secretly bankrolled vaping. My name is Billy Kemba and I'm the senior investigations reporter at The Times. And how did you get started on this investigation? So we were very interested in vaping and how much of a, a phenomenon it seemed to have become in this country, how popular it had become in a relatively short space of time. The UK is a bit of an outlier when it comes to vaping. They're very, very enthusiastically pro-vaping in a way that a lot of other countries aren't. Mm. And in terms of what you found, the headlines in terms of how 
tobacco companies have, have got involved in this world, or what? So in terms of the findings of this investigation, what we've really discovered is that a number of pro-vaping groups have secretly got links with tobacco companies, which includes, uh, in some cases, very extensive funding from large tobacco companies. And these groups are involved in all sorts of things to promote the use of vapes, to resist regulations, including regulations that are designed to protect against children and young people using vapes, mm. and to get involved in things like lobbying and health education efforts that tobacco companies aren't meant to be involved in. And when you say health education, I mean, in some cases, it's the education of GPs. Yes, certainly, as we explore in this investigation, there's a GP, a doctor who has a private company which has received millions in funding from Philip Morris, and she is also involved in running smoking cessation training for doctors in Britain, including other GPs. And we're going to be talking about, well, Philip Morris, Philip Morris International, one of the, the big tobacco brands. And the other one is... The other one is British American Tobacco. So together they are two of the four big tobacco companies. Yeah. Philip Morris makes Marlboro cigarettes. And British American Tobacco has a number, of, a number of brands. And both companies are now active in trying to sell e-cigarettes and other what they call reduced risk products. Vaping and other what they call reduced harm products are quite important commercially for tobacco companies. Tobacco, the tobacco industry was initially sceptical of e-cigarettes and, and in fact saw them really as a, as a rival product. Hmm. And that all changed when they began to become popular in sort of 2013-ish. They all began investing in that sector, buying up some of the popular brands, launching their own. They all now have their own brand. All the big tobacco companies have their own brand of e-cigarette, their own disposables. So it's a very important revenue stream for the future because smoking is in long-term decline and so they need other avenues of, of revenue. Every big commercial interest wants to secure influence, wants to have a say in regulations and taxes and, and matters that affect their mm. consumers and their product. The tobacco industry is hamstrung as a result of its previous work on traditional cigarettes and specifically by a, a global treaty that was orchestrated under the auspices of the World Health Organization, which severely limits their ability to try and influence health policies. Just a few hours ago, the World Health Assembly, the governing body of the World Health Organization, um, formally adopted a treaty that's been in the making for the last four years, designed to provide a roadmap for the whole world to decrease tobacco use and hopefully to decrease the death toll of tobacco. There are specific restrictions on contact with government officials, contact with policymakers, involvement with even what they brand as corporate social responsibility initiatives. So what they are looking for is, as I suppose any company would, a say in issues that affect them. But the way in which they go about that has to be different because mm. they can't do it through the front door, as it were. And we'll delve into all of this a bit more in a moment. But first, when you said that they're trying to get into low-risk areas and products compared to smoking smoking, how healthy or unhealthy is vaping, do we know? So it's a contentious issue. It's certainly true that e-cigarettes, that vaping is much safer than, than smoking. Hmm. But you're setting there a very low bar because... If you're a lifetime smoker, you have a two out of three chance of that product killing you, and that's using that product correctly. So it's you know it's up there with uh, with maybe guns as, as one of the most dangerous products in the world. Mm. It's certainly safer than that. Just how safe is, is still debated because the issue is they're relatively new and there isn't yet proper data on the possible health consequences of long-term use. Mm. But certainly what we know so far is clear that they're a lot safer than cigarettes, and so for smokers, they are certainly a safer option. Yeah. And can I ask a stupid question? What is in a vape? 
Uh, yeah, of course, sure. It's not a stupid question. So a vape is, I mean, it is simply really a battery and some liquid, which can usually contains nicotine and a flavour, and the liquid is heated up and vaporised, and then that is inhaled by the user, which gives a, you know, a nicotine hit, a flavour hit, and produces a sort of mm. vapour cloud that looks a bit like smoking. And the concerning thing in that concoction is what? Just the fact that there's nicotine in it and I could become addicted to the nicotine? So, Where's the risk? So there's a few different concerns. Certainly nicotine is is known to be addictive and there's clearly concerns about addiction from nicotine and the consequences of that addiction. There are also concerns about the other chemicals in flavourings and just what the long-term effects are of an aerosol going into your lungs. And organisations have taken very different views on that. So in the UK, the public health bodies have been quite enthusiastic. They've made clear declarations that it's significantly safer than smoking and smokers should use it. The World Health Organisation has taken a, a much more precautionary approach. It said we don't know enough about vapes. We're worried about the long-term consequences. We know that nicotine addiction is an addiction and addictions are concerning uh, and we don't recommend their use. But the big issue with vapes and the big balancing act is what we're now seeing is a lot of people that weren't smokers mm. taking up vaping, particularly young people. Because it's a bit of a much of a muchness if people who are already smoking moving to vapes, what the harm is from vapes, because as you say, the fact that they're just not smoking is fab. But on your point that you're about to make there about young people starting to vape who had never smoked before and maybe were never going to smoke, how big a problem is that? So the latest figures, and I think they're due in update pretty imminently because I think this, these came out late last year, but almost one in five children under 18s have tried vaping. That was a 30% increase in a year, so it's really growing in popularity in a hurry. This has been a huge problem for schools. I've spoken to a number of head teachers about how they're trying to combat this. People are bringing in CCTV cameras. They're locking bathrooms during lesson times or restricting bathrooms, even during break times, to, to a queue system and a teacher monitoring so that people aren't going in there to vape. Some of them are bringing in wands. That, to search uh, kids. To search bags for for vapes. They're very cheap, they're very easily available on the internet particularly they're sold in lots of corner shops and they're driven particularly by social media so mm. a lot of these vapes have been promoted by influencers or have been popular in TikTok trends and that sort of thing and that's really helped drive mm. the popularity among kids I was on a bus about three months ago uh, sitting next to what looked like a 13 year old and they, and they were vaping and it was that sort of sickly, sweet, biscuity kind of flavour that was being pumped out everywhere which was, yeah, incredible to see A lot of schools have at kind of end of day, 3.30, you know, the bushes are just filled with kind of discarded vapes. So if the particularly concerning frontier in all of this is youth vaping, young people who weren't smokers, aren't trying to quit smoking, but they're just taking up vaping, and that's the concern, one of the findings of your investigation as a starting point is reporting that links tobacco companies with some of these academic papers that are being put out saying, what, youth vaping is okay, not bad? Yeah, so there's, there's a number of academic papers funded by tobacco companies which have downplayed the concerns relating to youth vaping. There's a theory, something known as the gateway effect, that hmm. young people who vape are more likely to go on to smoke and there was research came out a couple of years ago from uh, academics in Australia who found that non-smokers who use e-cigarettes are about three times as likely to 
smoke as those who don't. Hmm. Several tobacco companies have funded papers that push back against that, that say that the gateway effect doesn't appear to be an issue. And, you know, that is then used to argue that concerns about youth vaping are, are overstated. And how clear is that link between the tobacco companies and those papers pushing back on the idea so of the when they effect? So when they fund scientific papers, they, they didn't used to be with, with the long sort of scientific debate over conventional cigarettes, but mm. having sort of learnt the lessons of that, they, these papers do declare, you have to declare your funding sources and they do declare the funding sources. Where it gets a little bit more complicated is there is a third party organisation set up and solely funded by Philip Morris International, which has funded scientific research. And there have been declarations where they just mention the name of the foundation and not the links back to Philip Morris International, although mm. the, the company themselves say that this is an independent entity and they don't control what they do with the funding. Is it possible that money from Philip Morris International goes into academic research into vapes, which is completely scientifically rigorous and isn't swayed by the money that is paying for it? It's certainly possible, yeah. Hmm. I think there's, there's sort of twofold issue. One is that there's an inherent risk of, at least an appearance of bias, if you have yes. a, an entity with clear commercial interest funding something which is, you know, the objective pursuit of truth. The other is, you know, this isn't happening in a vacuum. We know how much science was manipulated by these companies to try and downplay the health risks of traditional cigarettes and then the risk of passive smoking. And the ways in which that is done can be quite subtle. It's about the papers that don't see the light of day. It's about the way that evidence is interpreted. It's, you know, these things are, are rarely binary. And there's a reason a lot of the most respected journals won't take anything that has any link to tobacco funding. Where it all gets very murky is once these papers are out there and start to get cited and cross-cited and, you know, you have to follow the footnotes to see the paper and then you have to go down to the bottom of the paper to see the conflict of interest and soon you've got these papers being used as part of the scientific debate and as part of policy debates mm. without those involved in those debates necessarily realising the origin of the paper. These papers are then also cited by grassroots groups or other organisations in policy consultations. They're feeding them into the policy-making machine. And our investigation found that those groups are not necessarily as independent as they, as they may appear. What we found is these grassroots groups themselves have links and in some cases have been directly funded by tobacco companies. Coming up, the grassroots groups defending vaping, some of whom are entirely funded by tobacco giants. That's in a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast and you're thinking, I wish there was more from the Stories of Our Times team, well, there is. If you're a Times subscriber, you can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts, and you can get it on the Stories of Our Times feed if you are a Times subscriber. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts to find out more. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Billy, you've been taking us through your investigation into the, into the world of vaping. You were telling us a moment ago about how there are some links between tobacco companies and some academic research that's been done into whether vaping is a, is a gateway for young people into, into actual smoking. And you left us a moment ago by saying you've been looking into some of the groups that have actually been pushing this when we've been having debates and government's been consulting on policy. And you found that there's some links between actual tobacco companies and these grassroots organisations sort of doing their bidding. Yeah, so there's, uh, in the last few years, there's been an organisation which has been organising tours around Europe, including in the UK, to encourage people to pressure their politicians to support pro-vaping policies to, as they put it, to protect vapors' rights. And they present themselves as a grassroots organisation, the authentic voice of vapors. Mm. What they don't say, or they, they certainly don't make clear, is that they are in fact funded by tobacco companies. And this is the World Vapors Alliance. What is the funding link as well? So this is the World Vapors Alliance, as you say. It was set up by something called the Consumer Choice Centre, which is a sort of libertarian advocacy group in the US. They receive funding from Philip Morris and from British American Tobacco. But our understanding is that it is British American Tobacco that has particularly been involved with this group. Mm. Executives working on the account for a PR company in Ireland were regularly briefing British American Tobacco leaders about what they were doing, what they were going to do next, adverts strategic decisions. But but to what end? Do we know how successful they've been, how influential they actually are? So they're still active. They've they've submitted a response to the current government, with the, the consultation that's just closed in the UK about whether to, to ban disposables and, and, and take other actions. They've been very involved in lobbying in, in Europe. It's very difficult to quantify. I mean, this is the great hmm. challenge with reporting on, on lobbying and influence efforts. It's that it is difficult to to put precise figures on what you know, what influence does that conversation have? What influence does the thousands of letters they've organised? You know, they took round different types of stationery so that it would look like genuine letters from members of the public who'd just been inspired to write. Such was their feeling towards these issues, and not an organised campaign funded by by big tobacco. What? So they'd sign the letters, you know, Brenda in Hertfordshire or whatever, as so, opposed to. So they'd, they'd organise a roadshow and they'd get. Brenda from Hertfordshire, to, you know, she came to the roadshow, they'd say, can you write us a letter? But they'd provide the stationery and different pens, so they would make, it wouldn't look like, for the policymakers receiving these letters, they wouldn't go, well, here's the 300 letters from the latest roadshow. They'd go, oh, look, here's a genuine 
strength of feeling from his grandson of public opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what have British American Tobacco said about this? British American Tobacco, they didn't comment in detail, but they said that they regularly engage with and support organisations that contribute to discussions that affect their consumers and that they don't represent their views or positions. Hmm. Uh, and and in, in many cases, their views vary significantly. Okay. So if that's the World Vapors Alliance mm-hmm. and, and the links you found with Bush American Tobacco there, there's another group as well, the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World. Who they? Yeah, so the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World is a somewhat curious organisation that was set up about six years ago now by Philip Morris International, one of the big tobacco companies. And it is ostensibly an independent scientific body dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge about reduced harm policies and it funds sort of research and initiatives along those lines it is entirely funded by philip morris to the tune of i think about 260 odd million to date they've actually just last month announced that philip morris wouldn't be funding them anymore they made a final donation of 122 million or thereabouts and they're now looking for outside non-tobacco funders to fund them although it has to be said since they were launched they said they were going to be looking for other funders and it wouldn't just be philip morris and no one else has come forward but they in turn commission all sorts of work that goes on in this area with those funds from philip morris so if i'm philip morris international and i'm giving lots of money to well the foundation for a smoke-free world what are the foundation for a smoke-free world actually going to do that's going to benefit me so interestingly, there was an, an academic paper that came out earlier this year that, that really looked at that exact question and analysed how closely the foundation's work echoed the, uh, or mirrored rather, the agenda of, of, of Philip Morris. And what it found is that it was very similar and that it drew parallels with previous efforts by tobacco companies to influence science, to produce tobacco industry-friendly research, to fund third parties who attack science and scientists that might threaten the profitability of these sorts of products. I think more generally, I mean, Philip Morris have said that they believe they should be part of the solution to ending smoking and that they want to offer customers who can't quit safer alternatives and and those e-cigarettes and other safer nicotine products. And so ultimately, this sort of foundation is is part of that wider ecosystem pushing this sort of tobacco harm reduction agenda, pushing for policies that support that, both in terms of government policies, tax regimes, regulations, all the rest of it. And ultimately, that benefits Philip Morris and other tobacco companies' bottom lines. What does the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World say about all of this? And what does Philip Morris International say? I mean, Philip Morris International's position generally is that they're clear that people shouldn't start smoking and that if you are smoking, you should quit. But they say, in reality, not everyone will quit. And so they think it's a responsible position to encourage harm reduction, to have other products that are available. They say that the foundation is independent, that they don't have any say over where the money goes or how it's used. And that is a position that's, that's echoed by the foundation themselves in terms of its independence. Do you buy that? Well, it's, it's less whether I buy it and, and more, I think, what the sort of global consensus has been among people in tobacco control and, and public health. And they were very clear from a very early stage. There was a coalition of the leading public health departments of universities in the US saying we won't take any money from the foundation. We won't work with the foundation as far as we're concerned. It's a tobacco company organisation. So, Billy, you've taken us through the, the links between tobacco companies and um, grassroots organisations and also some of the research done. One of the other things you found in your investigation is the links between, well, money from tobacco companies and British 
doctors mm-hmm. explain. Yeah, so there's an organisation called the Centre for Health Research and Education, which, uh, despite the name, is a company. It's, it's not a non-profit. And it's run by two British doctors who have taken millions of pounds in funding from the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World, which, as we've discussed, is a, an entity that's been entirely funded to this point by Philip Morris. One of those doctors is, is a GP in the NHS alongside her position as a paid director of this company. And she runs smoking cessation training sessions for other doctors, including other GPs and consultants and and trainee doctors. And and during those sessions, she educates doctors on the options available to patients for for smoking cessation. And that includes using e-cigarettes. Alongside that, she's written articles in medical journals and she's appeared on the radio, again, discussing smoking cessation options, including the use of vapes. So what we've got here then is a, a chain, a line going from a tobacco company giving money to an organisation, which then gives the money to someone who is training GPs on smoking cessation, which includes the benefits of e-cigarettes. So the money goes from Philip Morris International, big tobacco company, Mm -hmm. to the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World, which is fully funded by Philip Morris International. They both say it's independent in what it does with that money. It then goes to the Centre for Health Research and Education, which is a private British company, which is owned by a husband and wife team. And the wife, the, one of those two directors, is the person giving these talks. Gosh, but there is a, a obviously a, a through line that you've been able to find there. Yes, and exactly. What have they said, this organisation... Yeah, so uh, the the doctor in question has said that she follows NHS guidelines in the recommendations she's giving, that it's not just e-cigarettes, it's the different range of products for for smoking cessation, and that she always declares her interest, Hmm. whether that she says we've been funded by the foundation, the company has been funded by the foundation, or whether she says, and that foundation is fully funded by Philip Morris International, is not clear because she didn't come back on that detail. Listeners who aren't that old, Billy, will, as you sort of already alluded to, say, well, haven't we seen this in the past with traditional cigarettes, as you keep calling them? It's the same playbook. We're seeing that arguably happen again, and your investigation has has hung lots of details suggesting that. Why is that allowed to happen? Well, it's an interesting question. Tobacco companies are not allowed to interfere with health policy, and there is a specific treaty designed to combat that interference Mm. because of what happened previously that language is somewhat open to interpretation so whether or not you think the foundation for a smoke-free world can genuinely be considered an independent entity or whether there is an inherent conflict of interest because all the funding comes from one large tobacco company will define whether you think activities it funds could be found to be in breach of that treaty you know i think the world vapors alliance with British American tobacco funding clearly involving itself in policy discussions and looking to bring pressure on politicians and to have a say in policy consultations and and even at the moment to to try and resist some of the measures that the UK is currently considering taking. Mm. I think you could certainly make a strong case that that would appear to fall foul of of that treaty and and to amount to an attempt to to interfere. So what could happen with all of this now? Or or is the power of it just that it's you've shone a bit of sunlight on it? Yeah, there's no. I don't think there are particular penalties that apply. I think the more light that gets shone on these activities, the harder it is for tobacco companies to kind of get away with these quiet or secretive efforts to influence. And you know, they have their power because they don't look like part of the tobacco industry. 
We're at a really interesting point in the UK right now in terms of vaping. The consultation the government is running has just closed. It's looking at a whole raft of measures from banning disposables to setting minimum prices to banning certain flavours to try and combat what we've seen with with youth vaping. And those are decisions that are going to be significant ones for for Rishi Sunak and his government and ones that they'll be making very soon. We know that Labour have already indicated that, that they support tough measures on this area. So I think clearly there's going to be action there. I think that probably the bigger question related to that is what happens next for young people that are already vaping and whether there were warning signs that were missed that could have prevented this problem. We now have a large number of, of young people who vape. We've seen some a small number, but some very serious cases involving young people. There was a, a 12-year-old girl a couple of months ago whose lung had collapsed and who was was hospitalised for several days as a result. Gosh. Yeah, there haven't been very many cases, but there have been some quite extreme cases of significant lung damage from vaping. The other big issue is what do you do about kids that are already hooked to vaping and to nicotine? And that is, that is an addiction and that is going to be a serious challenge for public health authorities to solve. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, senior investigations reporter at The Times, Billy Kember. There is so much more in Billy's fascinating investigation. We've only given you a flavour of it. You can read the whole thing at thetimes.co.uk. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel. The executive producer was Kate Ford, and sound design was by Hannah Varrell. Give us a nice review wherever you're listening to this. Goodwill to all men and all of that. I'll see you soon. Goodbye.